I'm telling you, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. If you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to start. We're going to talk today about some good news. Are you ready for this? The risen king of love still reigns. Now, I don't know if that's good news to you, but it sure is to me. It means that the risen king is still risen. We celebrated his resurrection last week. We're still celebrating it today. And the risen Lord of love, who is the reigning king, reigns not only over my present, but also over my past. I got a little project for you on the way home. You ready for this? I want you to go get in your car, put it in drive, and on your way home, only look in the rearview mirror. Now, don't really do that. My, our lawyers would want me to say that. Our insurance agents in the service, he would say, Darren, don't, don't, don't say that. So, but my point is this. If you only look in the rearview mirror, you can't see where you're going. You can't see where you're going. You only need to know where you're been. Now, now that works if you're a tow truck driver. But maybe you need a little more perspective for everybody else. Friends, I want you to realize when you live in your past, when you let your past dictate your future, that's exactly what you're doing. You are driving forward, but looking only in the rearview mirror. You are going to be headed for a crash. I don't want that for you. Jesus doesn't want that for you. So we're going to talk today about the passage we've directed you to in 2 Corinthians, but we're also going to do a case study. A case study of one who had a difficult past, one who was faced with some serious burdens. <coughs> and as a result of this, what did he do? We're going to talk about the strategies that Satan uses to attack us, the same ones that he used on that man so long ago. And we're going to talk about how Jesus, the risen king of love, stands supremely over it all. Let's start, though, with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Stand with me as we read from the word of the Lord, won't you? Therefore, the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. Gracious Jesus, thank you for loving us, for reigning, for giving us a chance to shed our past. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that our past does not have to determine our future. So guide us in this time of conversation, Lord. Let us hear from you. And most of all, will you transform lives just like you did in your word. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
You know, one of the reasons that I wanted us to do this talk today is because I wanted us to confront something that I hear from people sometimes. I hear something along the lines of, my past defines me, Darren. I've done something so awful, so terrible, so absolutely evil in my past that I can't ever get over it. God can't forgive me. And let me just tell you what the theological interpretation of that. It means that the cross of Christ, as awesome as it is, isn't good enough for that person's past. Well, I want to tell you, friends, either the cross of Christ is good enough for everybody's sin or it's not good for anybody's sin. It's good to cover everybody's past or it's not good to cover anybody's past. I believe it is indeed enough. There is a benefit in learning from our past. Don't misunderstand me. But if I allow my past to determine my future, then I will never go where I haven't already been. Surely, Christ's resurrection means more than that. Surely, there is a wiser path, and it starts with recognizing Satan's work. I want you to turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 5. We're going to do this case study. Case study, it's an example, one that we can look at and learn from. Friends, I want you to see in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 2, one that we call the Gadarene demoniac. It's kind of fun to say, you know. He was from the region that we call Gadarene, or in some of your translations, Gerasenes. It's two different, it's the same place, two different names. He had a problem, and it was a big one. He was possessed by not just one demon, but an entire legion of them. We don't know what happened to get him to this point. We don't know what past events led to him being possessed. All we know is that when we meet him in Mark chapter 5, things are bad. And they've been that way for a while. Pick it up with me in Mark chapter 5 verse 2. When Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. Let's say it like we mean it. Satan's grip on this man was strong. He had him by the throat. And as a result of hanging on to him so tightly, Satan was using all of his weapons to keep this man exactly where he wanted him. Let's talk about Satan's strategy for a moment. Maybe some of it will sound familiar. Let's start here. Satan isolates. He cuts us off, just like he did this man. This man was living in a graveyard. Wow. Why? Because that's where he felt most at home, presumably. This man was cut off from people because nobody else wanted to live in the graveyard with him. This man was isolated spiritually because the demons had kept him that way. This man was cut off. He was isolated in every conceivable way. That brings us to the second piece of Satan's strategy. Satan steals peace and purpose 
and life. Who had this man been? Surely he wasn't always like this. What had happened to that guy, the one who had been before this? We don't know. We don't know. All we know is that when we find him, he is the living epitome of John 10, verse 10. What does it say there? Jesus speaking, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is the essence of exactly what we see in this man's life. Satan has stolen his purpose. Satan has stolen his joy. Satan has stolen his peace and has isolated him into a corner that is very, very narrow. And that brings us to the third thing in Satan's strategy. Satan kills. Unless something supernatural happens to this man, He's going to die this way. Maybe sooner instead of later. Did you see it there in verse 5? Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out. This torment that he was in would surely lead to his death. Can I tell you, friends, we see it all day long, every day. We don't have to go back to Mark 5 to see it. Look out the window. We have so many who are stuck in this pattern of strategy that Satan still uses to isolate us, to steal our peace and purpose, and ultimately to kill us. Can I tell you today, friends, Satan is alive and well. I know there are some who sort of brush that off. Satan doesn't really do those things anymore, Darren. You don't have to really worry about that. I beg to differ. The story I'm about to tell you, you may not believe. It took place more than 30 years ago now, but it was as real to me as real to me now as it was then. I was a student at Dallas Baptist University. I was playing ping pong. Did I tell you I minored in ping pong in college? Maybe we should talk about that another day. Playing ping pong with a couple of my preacher boy buddies, and we were having a grand old time when these two gentlemen, two young men, classmates of ours, played baseball, big burly guys. They come bursting into the room where we are, and they have a very pale face, panic-stricken expression. And they came to us, and they said, we went down to Walmart, and we bought a Ouija board. And uh, we started fooling around with it, and now it's working on its own. And we're terrified. So we came to you guys because we know you know something about spiritual matters. We're hoping you can help us. We don't even want to go back into the dorm where the thing is. Well, being the spiritual adventurer that I am, I said, sure, let's go see what we got. We walked over there. And as soon as we opened the door, it was exactly what they said. Ouija board sitting there on the floor and the shuttle just moving around willy-nilly. I don't mind telling you, it was creepy as you can imagine. And I stood there going, huh, you know, this is really strange. And yet there was not 
one modicum of concern on my part because let me tell you, the risen king of love reigns. He holds no power that we don't, uh, that, that, that Satan holds no power over me. I don't remember which one of us it was. All happens so fast. One of us went over and brushed the shuttle off the board and picked up the board and snapped it. Snapped it over a knee. Now this is the part where some of you might not believe what I'm about to tell you. Somebody screamed. But it wasn't any of us in the room. Let me tell you, the hair on the back of my neck stood up and we got out of there as quickly as we could because this is what I believe. I believe there was a demon in that Ouija board that we injured when we broke the board. Now you might say, ah, it's crazy talk, Darren. What a made up story that is. But you know, those who think it's made up have never encountered Satan in his power. But those who would have joined me in snapping it certainly encountered Jesus in his power. I'm going to ask you a question, and it's an important one. Who do you think has more power? Because the question, the way you answer that question will determine which direction you go. If you think they're equal powers, then you'll just say, hey, it's no big deal one way or the other. But if you believe the risen king of love still reigns, then you'll know Satan's strategies hold no sway. There was another group, though, that was trying to speak into this. You'll see it there in verse 4. He'd often been bound with shackles and chains. Now, who bound him? Those who lived close by. Let's say it another way. Society can't always help. We've been told, and often, it takes a village. That's true up to a point, but let me say it more clearly. It takes Jesus and him only. It takes Jesus. Sometimes the problem isn't that Jesus it doesn't have enough power. It's never that. The problem is I'm looking for power in the wrong places. I brought something that belongs to my friend Gary with me today. No, it's not a fishing reel. No, it looks like one. It's a handheld generator. It winds it up. You create your own electricity this way. I want you to imagine, though, that if I'm trying to power just this radio, this is enough. If I'm trying to power the little flashlight on here, that's enough. I even have one at home that has a little phone plug generator. That's enough for that, you know? But I want you to imagine trying to power this room on this little generator. How fast would I have to crank it? Faster than I want to. Let's just be clear there. The problem is not the power that's generated. The problem is the limitations this has. I want to tell you, if you're asking anybody besides Jesus to power your life, you are trying to power a whole room with a handheld. Don't make that mistake, friends. Two things I want you to take home with you. One, don't underestimate what Satan can do to you. You see, my baseball friends, they learned something that night. They learned that Satan is awfully powerful. Don't play games with him, because I can assure you he's not playing games with you. Secondly, 
Don't overestimate what others can do on your behalf. Many times we want to crowdsource it and say, well, I'll ask them what they think. I'll do what they tell me to do because after all, all of those people, they can't possibly be wrong. Oh, yes, they can. Oh, yes, they can. They can be wrong, and many times they are. These people in verse 4, they were trying to help, but the help that they were offering was not what he needed. He needed the power of the transcendent Jesus to come into his life. And that brings us to the next section. Jesus invited him to leave his past behind. Now I want you to see again in verse 2. This man came to Jesus. But Jesus didn't leave him where he was. Verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of him. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. And a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Let's be clear, friends. Jesus' power was more than the man could stand. <laughs> if you go back into Mark 3 and 4, one of the things you'll find is Jesus using his power to demonstrate who he is. He calms the seas, friends. Let me tell you, our God still does that. Sometimes he calms the sea, sometimes he calms us. He calmed the seas, and then when he steps out of the boat on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, this man comes running up. The man said, why, why, what do you have to do with me? Uh, yeah, Jesus has something for him. And what is it? It's deliverance, friends. This man's past was determining both his present and his future. But Jesus, in his authority, in his wisdom, in his love, he's about to change that. Man came to Jesus asking for mercy. Mercy, don't torture me, Jesus. But what he got was not what he expected. Oh, the demons knew who Jesus was. Did you notice that? We know who you are, Jesus. We know. But they also knew that who they were and that they had no power over him. The confession there, we are a legion, reflects just how far down the man, this man really was. We are a legion. I want you to just pause for a moment here and say, this interchange where Jesus asks their name. You know, Jesus is not asking for information. Do you think Jesus didn't know that? Of course he did. He knew exactly their name. Why did he ask it then? He's asking for a confession. He's asking for them to speak that themselves. There's power in a name, isn't there? 
Think about how much it means to you when you're sitting waiting in the doctor's office and they call your name. You stand up and you walk out. Well, I guess I've been chosen. I'll see the rest of you. Nothing different here. They, the demons, were at Jesus' mercy. And they knew it. I want you to see Jesus' power. It called the man to leave his past behind. Come out, Jesus says. Now this only works if Jesus has the authority to do it. Friends, he most certainly does. Come out. It's an imperative. There's no room for a misunderstanding or equivocation. Come out and do it now. Never mind where you've been. Never mind what you're doing. Never mind why. Let's fix where you are so we can correct where you're going. Leave your past behind. Friends, the same hope is available for you. Maybe you're in the middle of something and you're struggling with it and you're wondering where Jesus is. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a pen, and if you didn't bring one, then find one in the pew rack ahead of you. Write the name of Jesus in big, big print, as big and bold as you care to, and then draw a line under it, and then under that line, whatever problem you're struggling with, Jesus is bigger than your problems. If the size of your problem determines the size of your God, then your God is too small. The Jesus described here stands supremely over it all. Maybe it's time for the size of your God to determine the size of your problem. Today, friends, I want to encourage you to recognize Jesus and his power invited this man to leave his past behind. But what if, what if the man hadn't? Hang on to that thought. We'll come back to it in a minute. Jesus' power gives him authority over the demons, too. One of my favorite parts about this is that the Bible never tells us how Jesus has that power. It just presumes that he does. The Bible never explains demon possession. Thus, when Jesus demands they identify themselves, they have no choice. It's as if Jesus' authority exceeds all of them, and indeed he does. Jesus is not fearful of them. Jesus is not fearful of how they've tormented the man because he knows he can make it stop. Jesus is focused on liberating this child of God. Get this. This man is a child of God. The demon had requests of Jesus. Don't send us out of the country. Send us to the pigs. Jesus, in his authority and strength, granted both requests. But notice it was his right to do so or not. He could have said no. Now the man is free. The demons rush out and go to those pigs. They run down, the, run down the hill and drown themselves, and they leave the man behind. Man, now formerly demon-possessed, recognizes who Jesus really is. Now let's go back to the question I asked a minute ago. What if the man who had been freed from this decided to continue living the way he always had? should go with me in your mind and heart to Nairobi, Kenya. Actually, the little suburb, a place called Dandora. I brought a picture of the place with me. Take a look at it on the screen. This is one of the main landfills for Nairobi. Nairobi is a huge city, 
several million people. And as such, they crank out several metric tons of, of, of trash every day. It gets brought to one of these. There are four of them around town. And around each one of them, just out of the side of what you can see, just beyond that rise, is a village. Village filled with people like these on the bottom right of your screen. They are the pickers. They're the ones who are picking things out that they hope to sell at one of the, one of the markets around town. Having driven past a few of these dumps, there are three of them around Nairobi, having driven past these, I will tell you that the stench is unbearable. If you've been to a landfill, you know what I'm talking about. The scent is something that no one, no one, no one should have to endure. Yet those who live there in the village of Dandora, they get used to the smell. What if one of the pickers was digging through and discovered a lottery ticket? A lottery ticket worth $10 million. And he slips it into his pocket and goes on about his picking as if nothing had happened. You would say to him, are you insane? That's your ticket out. You don't have to live like this anymore. And the person looks back at you and says, but I'm comfortable here. That, friends, is the mistake a lot of Christians make. They continue to live in the slum when Jesus is calling them away from it. They continue to live like this when Jesus is offering them something far better. Let's take it home. Allowing your past to determine your future is like driving while only looking in the rearview mirror. Don't make that mistake. Jesus' power came to give you more. Are you living in Jesus' liberating power today or trying to generate your own? Let's conclude with this. Now freed from the demons, Jesus gave this man and us, we might say, purpose. See it in verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and the country. People came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus. They saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And get this, they were afraid. Now what were they afraid of? They were afraid of the power of Jesus. Those who had seen it and described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Of all the verses in the Gospel of John, I'm sorry, Mark, this is one of the saddest to me. As he was getting into the boat, Jesus, that is, the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might go with him. But Jesus didn't permit him and said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus did and everyone everyone marveled. Let's be clear, friends. Jesus healed the man and gave him a purpose in life. Go and tell, Jesus said. Go and tell. He didn't send him to seminary. He didn't send him to Bible college. He didn't send him to a discipleship class. 
He didn't send him to a training seminar. He sent him to tell. Just tell them what I've done for you. And this is where the two passages we've used today, Mark 5 and 2 Corinthians 5, come together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. Oh, friends, today, are you living in the past or are you living in Jesus' future? Let's conclude with this. Not everyone will be a fan of this new purpose, but don't allow that to deter you. As I mentioned a moment ago, verse 17 is sad to me. There will be always people who fear Jesus. Not in the reverence sort of fear that I hope we all share, but in the sense of I'm afraid of his power. I'm afraid he'll ask something of me that's difficult. I'm afraid he'll challenge me in a way that, that, is, that is terrifying to me, and then what will I do? Rather than cope with Jesus' commands, they decided to run Jesus off. That mistake still happens today. Don't let it happen to you. Instead, invite Jesus in and change things that he calls you to. Let's take two things home and we'll be done. Live in Jesus' power and purpose by doing what he sent you to do. We might amend that even a little bit more by being what he sent you to be. Finally, live like Jesus' opinion is the only one that counts. Can I tell you today, friends, that's because it is. His opinion is the only one that counts. My prayer for you today is that very thing, that you will recognize the past that you have is already redeemed because of Jesus. All you need to do is ask. Would you today, friends, look within you and ask the Lord to make clear where you are in this? Are you the man who is possessed, letting your past determine everything about you? Are you one of the villagers who's living in fear of Jesus because you're challenged by the realities that he's going to ask you to change? Are you one of the disciples who's walking with Jesus, seeing his power day by day? My prayer is that you're one or three, not two. If you realize today, though, if you're living in the past, then today is the day you can change that. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, here's what you do. You leave that seat right there as soon as we stand up to sing and you meet me right down here. Let's talk about how you can encounter Jesus in this same way and stop letting your past determine your future. Maybe you've already done that and never been baptized. Come and let's talk about that. Maybe you need to come to this altar and spend some time in prayer. It's open for your use. Maybe you want to join our church. Come down here and let's talk about how you can. This day, this moment is the one Jesus has given you. What will you do with it? Let's pray together. Today, Jesus, we, your people, have gathered for the purpose of encountering you. My prayer is that's what's happened. Not because the preaching's been all that great, but because you are. I pray for those, Lord, who need to respond to you. That because of who you are, you would do your work among us. 
right here and right now. I know, Jesus, you can, and so I pray that you would. Will you bind Satan from this place, and will you bind him from our lives, and will you help us, Lord, to recognize his strategies when they, when they show up? And will you let us lean into your power like this one did? And once we've tasted it, help us, Lord, to go. Go and tell. Don't have to have all the answers. All we need is to tell the truth. So do your work now, Lord Jesus, among us in each of our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.